This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. Because life's just better with a book. Welcome to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore. In this episode, we're diving into some non-fiction. Natasha's been reading Dear Fahrenheit 451 by Annie Spence. It's a librarian's love letters and breakup notes to the significant books in her life. We'll go a bit corporate with uh, Susan Scott's Fierce Conversations, a self-help management type book about how to achieve success through conversation. And I've been reading Richard Glover's The Land Before Avocado, a memoir that takes us to a strange and unrecognisable place, the Australia of the 60s and 70s. Plus, we'll talk about the most hype books that didn't quite live up to expectations. And if you'd like to join in the conversation or share your thoughts about one of the books we discussed, we'd love to hear from you. Email bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. But first, let's hear from Dear Fahrenheit 451 by Annie Spence. Dear Miss Marple series, you guys, I just want to thank you for being there for me. Everybody loves you. Seriously, everybody. I mean, people who like mysteries, duh. But also, did you know that truckers love you? You guys on audio are like a gateway drug to reading for truckers. Also, kids who read way above their grade level and are bored with everything in the children's section. The cute and gawky ones who get big smiles when you give them a book and they sit down on the floor and start reading it immediately. And teens with helicopter parents who want to make sure they aren't reading novels with sex in them. As a rule, murder in a book is A-OK with these folks. And millennials love you because they picture your main character as Mrs. Doubtfire. You make my job so much easier on days when I spend the better part of an hour with a patron, placing stacks of books in front of them, shelling out the if-you-like bookmarks like it's my job, which it is, and presenting each tome to a frowning face. That's Annie Spence in Dear Fahrenheit 451. Have you ever got to the end of a book and wanted to throw it against the wall? This is why I don't read on a Kindle. If you struggle with strong, unexpressed emotions towards the books you've read, this book may give voice to some of your bottled-up feelings. Annie Spence writes letters to the books she loves and breaks up with the book she needs to kiss goodbye. I think this book is a part of a bit of a movement where librarians and booksellers are stepping out from behind the counter and finding their voice. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Katrina. Do you get emotional about your books? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? <laughs> I get extremely attached to my books. And actually, I mean, this book is by a librarian. I do technically belong to the library, but I very rarely borrow from the library oh. because if I love a book, I really am quite attached to the physical copy that I first read that book in. And so I can't, I can't have it as a library book or on Kindle because I need to own it in that first experience. Well, this is the thing. I have a real problem with this because when I borrow a book from the library and I love it to death, then I'm like, oh, but I don't own a copy of this. And Mm -hmm. yet if I go buy it, it will be sitting on my shelf unread. And that seems wasteful. Yes. It's tricky. It is a problem. So I just buy lots of books. Also a problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So did you relate to Annie's ideas about 
which books she loved and which ones she wanted to break up with. Can you give us a few examples? Uh, well, broadly speaking, I mean, the thing is she's very endearing and funny and sometimes cynical and hilarious. Um, and she talks about a lot of books that I've never heard of. Um, so, I mean, my copy actually is now full of sticky tabs of books that I'm like, oh, oh, I think I might want to read that book and that book and that book. So, you know, it's added a lot of books to my queue of to-be-read books. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly agreed with her on some things, like she's not super thrilled about the Twilight series as much as, you know, <laughs> I have enjoyed a good Twilight book and I'm sure she did too, but she makes some valid points. Um, and with some of the books she's actually, because she's a public librarian in the American Midwest, um, they're books that she's, the the proper term apparently is weeding. They weed books from the mm. library, books that um, are falling apart because they've been borrowed so many times, so they get replaced by new copies, or that haven't been, you know, taken out in decades. So she talks about, you know, there's a there's one letter that's to the calculating book, Fun and Games with Your Pocket Calculator, <laughs> right. where she's a bit like, look, nobody's taken you out in a long time because people don't have pocket calculators anymore and they don't do these, you know, fun, you know, how you used to make the words upside down. And oh, yeah. Like that's, so, yes, like in Train, about, Boy like, Swallows Universe where they write yeah, a particular right. number, yes. 5,005 or something, two. whatever Ooh. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's um, a lot of fun and some of them – are not, you know, most chapters are to a particular book, you know, The Goldfinch or Anna Karenina or um, The Virgin Suicides. It's like her favourite novel. Um, the Hobbits, so I understand. Yes, The Hobbits in there. But she also writes some chapters to like, there's one letter that's addressed to the fancy bookshelf at a party I wasn't technically invited to. <laughs> right. Um, where she's kind of talking about how pretentious, you know, the books on this bookshelf are. Um, and then she has these great chapters with titles like Excuses to Tell Your Friends So You Can Stay Home With Your Books and He's Just Not That Into Literacy, Turning Your Lover Into a Reader. So this is what I wanted to know. How do you do that? Please inform me <laughs> if you have a partner who doesn't love to read as much as you do. What are her ideas for how to convert them? Well, she offers you some suggestions, right, of books to kind of offer them. And, you know, to I think um, it's kind of a give them something that's adjacent to an interest they already have. And, you know, it's kind of like mm. leading a horse to water, I guess. Um, I but... do this for kids all the time. I mean, I constantly sure. have parents say, oh, my eight-year-old boy is really struggling. What should they read? And I'm mm. always finding mm. stuff and texting them and whatever. And I think I've had reasonable success with kids. Mm. Um I'm like you with adults. It's often been something like the Rosie Project. Yeah, so these particular books that are great for people who think of themselves as non-readers. Yeah. But actually, is there such a thing as a non-reader mm. once you've been given the gift of literacy? Books are for everybody. I really right? think they are. I think it's just a matter <laughs> of finding the right ones for you. Um, are there other bookish dilemmas that Annie, Annie handles? Because I think there's been a bit of a Marie Kondo backlash, you know, where people are going, no, stuff you, Marie. I'm going to own as many books as I want. Mm. Yeah. So she does have – because sometimes she's weaning books from the library. Sometimes it's from her own bookshelf. Um, books that she's either like, I will never break up with you. You are forever. Uh -huh. And other books where she's like, 
look, it's just time. I've pretended and pretended that I'm going to read you. And I think it's time that we faced up to the fact that it's not me, it's you. Yeah. It's never going to happen. You're going in the garage sale. Well, it's quite empowering really, isn't it? (laughs) You can have that moment of like, I'm not going to pretend anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This is never going to happen. Liberating. Uh, And it's just, she's very funny. It made me wonder, because I don't spend that much time in um, public libraries terribly, to my shame, um, it made me wonder if public libraries here are the same they are in America, because she's very like, she has conversations with, uh, you know, patrons of the library about everything from, you know, she helps them set up an email address or figure out how to use their Kindle or, you know, apply for a job or how to, you know fix their car like right. here's the book for you and okay. people come in and she gives them recommendations because so you know, she's a guy like comes a in life guide almost I know. right well, and she seems like, to think that this is what public libraries are for and i was like is that what they're for here yeah definitely do librarians like they have do all that those here? computers and people apply for jobs and yeah and someone definitely. will sit down and help you and mm, not so much yeah, that's what i wondered <laughs> maybe when you know we maybe in a country town libraries i'm sure well. in new zealand they'd probably sit down and help you because they'll do anything <laughs> for you in new zealand uh all right so To wrap it up, what did you love about it and who do you think would enjoy it? Um, I loved – well, I love books, right? Mm. So I kind of – I try not to read too many books about books because it gets – you know, you're in a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's like bands Um, who only write songs about being on the road. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Not relatable, guys. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and she does have a section which is even like books about librarians and about (laughs) libraries and stuff. Um, But mostly, you know, she introduces lots of quirky, interesting sounding books that I hadn't heard of, as well as talking about ones that I do know already. Um, So it was satisfying on that front. Um, Her writing is very witty and delightful and they're really short chapters because they're, you know, letters to Mm. these books. I want to say it's for everybody, but because the net effect is to make you go and read a bunch more books... I think maybe you want to be wary of that. Okay. <laughs> so if you're someone who's like, no, no, my cue is all full up. Yeah. I know which looks like me. But then I am that person and I read it and loved it. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. So be it's like a buyer beware. If you don't want to have a longer to read list, don't pick up this book. Well, as two devoted book lovers, we have tended to uh, talk about a few books about books, but our next book is something very different for us. Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. It's all about achieving professional and personal success through powerful conversation. Natasha, this is not your staple kind of book. <laughs> yeah, so that's what safe to say. <laughs> made you pick this one up? I'm curious. Well, yeah, I mean, I almost don't remember in that someone who I work with recommended it several mm. times. I can't remember what it is she said that made me go... Because, you know, that's not really enough, right? Like lots of people recommend lots of books. Um, And to break through a habit of I I don't read self-help books. Like I just have never really done that. Me too. I don't read them either. Um, And I'm probably a little bit snobby about that and I shouldn't be. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but something she said about it made me go, okay, I want to know about this. I want to know how you do this kind of thing, Hmm. which was kind of – and, you know, she is – the author is a – um, I mean, one of the terrible phrases I use is something like 
leadership development architect, which I'm like, spew, what is that? Um, <laughs> That's a weasel but, word if ever I've heard one. Yeah. But it's the book itself is really not weaselly at all. And it's kind of she works with corporations, but also with people, you know, in terms of their personal lives as well, thinking about, well, how do you have like real conversations? How do you shape like you know, where am I going in life? Um, what do I want my marriage to look like? What do I want, you know, my team at work to look like? How am I actually making that happen? And so these things that, you know, I'm not very analytical about usually and I haven't really thought through. So it was quite a different angle for me um, and I genuinely really enjoyed it. Because mm. my feeling with self-help books is that, Usually once you've read the blurb and the first chapter and the end, it, they kind of just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Did you find that or not? Um, actually, it's got quite a lot of content. Mm. So there are some things that come up over and over again. She has particular, like it's a bit slogany at points. There are things she says like, although some of these I've actually found myself using. She says this thing where she's like, the problem named is the problem solved, which maybe like, but that's kind of interesting that actually a lot of the time if you can put your finger on what is actually going wrong, then it's much like you can actually go, oh, okay, I can see that and now I can Yeah, do I think that's really helpful for conflict resolution because mm. it's so easy to kind of be angry or upset about something without really putting your finger yeah, on what it is. Yeah, and then all the energy goes like around the edges and doesn't actually get to the heart of what's going on. So it's all about like showing up so she talks about coming out from behind yourself and being real in conversations that there are so many areas you know in relationships at work or relationships at home where you go oh this is just kind of off limits because it's too tricky or we just don't agree on this we're not on the same page or like maybe I'll get shot down if I say what I really think about this or it's just gonna rock the boat and I don't want to do that so we kind of do this politeness thing or this um you know, just flying under the radar thing. And she's a bit like, life is too short. How can we be real in our conversations in ways that mean people feel comfortable to say what they really think? You get better results as a team in a workplace if everyone is like, okay, well, here's how I see things. I have this particular expertise and this is what's going on without feeling like their boss or whoever is going to be like, that's a stupid idea or um, no, we're doing it my way or, you know, pipe down. So would you say it's helped you most in work or in your personal life and which of the techniques has sort of stuck with you most? Well, I think I'm still kind of processing a bit. So I'm not one, there are points in the book where she's like, okay, let's pause and here I want you to write down your, you know, your core values or whatever it is. And I'm always like, skip, skip. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do homework in books. <laughs> but, um, um, so like I probably haven't fully applied what she has yeah. said. Um, but I think I've used it in a couple of random areas. There's one thing she does. So she talks about particular lines to use in conversations where you're kind of trying to probe like, okay, what's, what's real here? Um, she talks about asking someone a question about something and if they answer, I don't know, she's like, you should go, if you did know, what would it be? And I was like, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. And I tried using it on my niece yeah. and she was like, but that's just the same question. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> she's, she's nine. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this, I don't know about this. But um, one of the other techniques she uses is, the, is to start to have kind of an exploratory conversation where it's like, what is the most important thing that we need to talk about today? Um, and, you know, I haven't, I'm not married and I, you know, I don't really have these issues necessarily at work, but like I've 
funnily enough, used it a bit in my prayer life, sat down with God and gone, what's the most important thing that we need to talk about today? Wow. And that's been really interesting, actually, that's, for my prayer life. That is. <laughs> Which is not what the book is for, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, now, I never read self-help books, as you know, but, I'm, you know, you tweaked my interest a oh, little good. here. If you had to give the one-line pitch, pitch, like, why should I read this, what mm. would you say? Well, I think really the one-line pitch that she uses, so she, I'll, I'll read it. This is what she said. She says, our lives succeed or fail gradually, then suddenly, one conversation at a time. While no single conversation is guaranteed to change the trajectory of a career, a business, a marriage, or a life, any single conversation can. The conversation is the relationship. And so I think it's just interesting to think about the dynamics of conversations, which is not a thing we're kind of ever consciously trained in. You just kind of figure out how to have conversations and maybe we're not as good at it as we should be given that we spend our lives doing it. And so it's quite a fun thing to think about. Okay. So who do you think would benefit from this book? I mean, particularly people who I guess have a sort of leadership management-y role um, in their workplace. Mm. Um, so she does a lot of work with CEOs um, and with kind of executive teams and that sort of thing. But really, I think anyone could find it interesting. I think it's well written. It's got like um, really good case studies and examples. And it's just like, how does human behavior work? How do we do human interaction and like make our conversations count? stuff. Okay. So there's so. sort of elements of psychology behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The title, Fierce Conversations, That I found that slightly confusing. What does that really mean? I think she actually has an organisation called Fierce Inc. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of about showing up in all of your life. So instead of kind of like being passive and just going through the motions and stuff, being fierce in the way that you live and stuff. So she's written one called Fierce Leadership as well. Um, I haven't read that one. I don't well, really I like leadership. I have a bit of a negative connotation around that word fierce. To me, it sounds very aggressive. Yeah, so you know. she talks about how it's not about being aggressive or into conflict. And if people use it as a kind of, okay, I can go in and like steamroll my way through conversations. It's not like that at all. It's about having authentic conversations and not just kind of polite going through the motions conversations. So about bringing your whole self to your relationships and to your work and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's it's something, you know, that everyone would want to do the way she describes it. And she's very like, she's all about, you know, making sure you ask lots of questions, using silence. She's not about kind of being the most aggressive person in the room at all. Well, <laughs> that's good to hear. Otherwise, this conversation wouldn't be a whole lot of fun if you were <laughs> that's true. taking up that kind of approach. All right. So now I wanted to ask you, Natasha, about, Something that I've experienced recently, which is when you have a bit of a disappointment, like a book that gets hyped up to you, maybe it's highly recommended by someone you trust, or maybe it's just that repeat thing that everywhere you go, people are saying, have you read this book? So for you, what's been a book that's been most hyped but didn't live up to expectations? You know, the one that comes to mind is Julian Barnes. The Sense of an Ending. Do you know that book? No, I don't. It was a it was a book a winner and like it's slender and it's kind of, you know, a bit academic and you know, lots of people told me I'd love it and I was like confident that I would love it. Mm. And then I picked it up and even within a few pages I was like, This is so pretentious and annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. I just really disliked it. I read the whole thing. It's it's quite short. Yeah. But um 
I just, it felt like one of those books where you're like, oh, this is kind of trying hard to be profound and I don't think it is. Is that a terrible thing to say? No, I think sometimes that's about the mood that we're in and the place that we're in. Might be. And what else we've been reading. I didn't read it in like one sitting or anything. No. I, you the, just really didn't like it. The impression it. was sustained across the book. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe you're meant to find the narrator pretentious and annoying, but yeah, I did not enjoy <laughs> that read. <laughs> How about you? Disappointed um, lately? <laughs> yeah, look, I have been disappointed. And look, I really hesitate to criticise an Australian author, especially an Australian author that I love. Mm. But... Kate Morton's latest book, The Clockmaker's Daughter. Now, to be fair, I only read about 50 pages, but I absolutely, I've read a couple of her other books and I loved The Lake House. For me, that's the best one, but I also enjoyed um, some of her, her other books. And so I was waiting expectantly for the new Kate Morton. Mm. And look, it might be fine if you push on. I have to admit, I only read about 50 pages. But I just did not get drawn in. Yeah, that's not obeying the 100-page rule, Katrina. Have we talked about the 100-page rule? But listen. 100 pages minus your age? You're not that old. Right. So you're supposed to read 100 pages minus your age. Sure. (laughs) I can't tell you exactly how much I read, but what I can tell you is this. I gave it to my mum. She couldn't get into it. Oh, really? I read the first bit myself and went, I'm just not very interested in this. See, that's interesting because if it's an author that you already know and trust – even then, you're like, oh, no, this is just isn't doing it. Well, normally I would push on with mm. an author I know and trust and I would go, you know what, I know this is going to get good. But there wasn't anything mm. that sparked my interest oh. and the character didn't spark my interest. Yeah. So That's such a shame. I'll probably read it in future, except that my sister-in-law read it and she was like, yeah, it's okay. Okay. So, and it's a very mm. long book. So oh, I'm really I sorry, Kate. I, I, if you, you know, if anyone knows Kate Morton, if she's your best friend, <laughs> I, I love her work. I am a fan. This just wasn't the one for me. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed. Um, however, a book I have enjoyed mm. and sticking with our non-fiction theme was The Land Before Avocado by Richard Glover. Have you read yeah. any of his books? Um, have I read any of his books? I've intended to read some of his books. <laughs> is that the same right. thing? No, um, no, I don't think it is. But this one does look really cool. Yes. So I really enjoyed his last book, Flesh Wounds. Okay. Oh, yeah, his memoir. Which was all mm-hmm. about his messed up family background. So, you know, I was optimistic when I picked this up. Uh, also, I gave it to my mum last Christmas. You can see my mum is really influencing my reading here. <laughs> uh, and she was giggling and snorting all the way through it. So that's a good sign. Uh, basically, it's a reflection on life, you know, in the Australia of the six in the 70s and um, look I'm very susceptible to nostalgia I want to put it out there I was not actually old I'm not old <laughs> enough to actually remember no. the 60s or 70s <laughs> I was alive in the 70s but I was very small um, but even so I related to a lot of my memories from the early 80s you know yeah because the idea like the land before avocado is that because it's not so in the 90s even they yeah. weren't really they weren't around. Eat avocados in I, australia this is crazy to me even didn't, though, i mean i was there but i didn't don't... eat an avocado until i was like 20 wow yeah well, i mean i remember like as a child the first time i had sushi like that that was a really new thing yes But I can't remember really avocados becoming a thing. Well, an avocado would be served as an entree and it would be filled with um, like a prawn cocktail. Oh. You know, like it was an exotic thing. It wasn't an everyday food. Because when you go to to the States and you go into a cafe and they're serving like avocado on toast, it's like Australian toast. Oh, wow. Because it's like... (laughs) 
Did nobody ever think to spread avocado on toast before we did it? That seems bizarre to me, but apparently, yeah. When you travel overseas, you you don't get avocado as a standard sandwich filling. Weird. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Anyway, so that's the line before avocados. The things that made me laugh were things like descriptions of the way motels used to be, how they always had that little slot where you would get your breakfast delivered and there would be like the hygienically sealed sash over the toilet seat. Wow. Um, Stories of long drives, you know, where no one was let out of the car um, for hours on end. It was... The stories about the workplaces of the 70s were hilarious and unbelievable. The way that you would have to, before you could get a new pencil, you would have to hand in the old one. And if there was, you know, it wasn't quite (laughs) short enough, you'd be like sent back. No, 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 you can get another two weeks out of that pencil. Um, So it's funny and unbelievable. But what I liked about it is it gets more serious as it goes on. Does it drive to kind of a point? It does. Yeah. It's kind of an essay against conservatism, not. Not militantly against conservatism, but against this idea that everything was better in the good old days. And he highlights things like, you know, drink driving and the terrible rates of kids injured in horrible accidents and what life was like for working women, you know, who would have to hide their wedding ring to keep their job and migrants, their experiences, Aboriginal people. Um, And, you know, you start to realise that, you know, not everything has gone backwards and one of the most heartbreaking parts of the book was um, the stories about what people had to put themselves through in order to get a divorce so even if their partner had completely left them was shacked up with another person even maybe having a baby with another person you still had to go through this really arduous process of proving before a court that they had actually cheated on you and so the pain that was inflicted on people suffering really terrible situations in order for them to be technically you know not married anymore it's it's quite heartbreaking actually lots of little moments will make you laugh but also I think it helps you appreciate some of the ways that life in Australia today is actually better so I mean given that you weren't really around in the 60s and 70s is this book aimed at people specifically who were like are you not the target demographic or is it no I have to say that I think if you are a person who is over 50 you know, if you're kind of between 50 and 70, you'd probably get more out of it because you'd remember yeah, okay. things more vividly. But for me, I thought I learnt a lot about the society that, you know, Australia has come from and that what's shaped us as a country. So I think for anyone who's interested in a little bit of Australian history or a little bit of understanding, like, different political environments even or social contexts for different movements, I really think that you can learn a lot from it while also being entertained. You might not agree with everything. And look, you know, I think for people who incline towards a conservative agenda, some of it they might not agree with Richard's ideas, but that doesn't say, doesn't still give you that sense that some things have improved. Mm. Yeah. Is it kind of amazing that he remembers all that detail? No, he did a lot of research. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's a lot of statistics, there's yeah. a lot of library visits, a lot of looking up old newspapers and that mm. sort of thing. Yeah, as a journalist, he relies a lot on the um, the newspaper because he's a newspaper okay. journalist. It's not just like, remember but... how motels used to be? <laughs> <laughs> no. And, in fact, the one thing I didn't relate to as a younger person than the target was uh, his assessment of the music of the era. 
Ah. That was just like, it was straight over my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no emotional attachment. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yep. Well, thanks for listening to The Hope Book Club. In this episode, we reviewed Dear Fahrenheit 451 by Annie Spence, Susan Scott's Fierce Conversations, and Richard Glover's The Land Before Avocado. If you want to discuss anything we've talked about, email us at bookclub at hopemedia.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks for listening to The Hope Book Club because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.